been got me to crime for I'm supposed to be preaching. So, <laughs> you know, it was, um, <clears throat> it was the, um, it was the day my dad died that, um, <clears throat> that Elizabeth found out she had lung cancer. <clears throat> and I had these messages on my phone that, you know, she needed to talk to me. And, and um, I was with my mom, and, and um, she had been coughing for weeks, and I'd even told her so many Wednesday nights. I was like, hey, you, you need to go get that checked out. And I'm not the guy that tells you to go to the doctor. I'm the guy that tells you to, you know, take an aspirin and get over it. And, uh, and so I, I knew it wasn't going to be good. Just, I don't know if it was discernment or what. But my, uh, she had an appointment that day, and I'd even told her I was praying for her and stuff. And I'd gotten several messages, and I knew it wasn't going to be good. And when I got to her house, um, you know, they put that, that word, you know, that we've come to dread, that word cancer. And uh, I just remember thinking, uh, she, says, <laughs> she says, so how was your day? And I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her my dad had died that day because I thought, you know, everything that we have to deal with my dad is a matter of, of grief, right? But her whole life is getting ready to be filled with struggle. And I just remember, remember thinking this moment matters so much, so much, that we just um, run into grace together. And so that was um, a little over four years ago. And then uh, three years ago, uh, encephalitis just hit that lady like a, like a, like a truck. And it's been a really um, crazy ride since. And um, I, I, sort of, uh, I sort of hate Andrew this morning because now I feel all tender when I'm getting ready to preach. But I, I, just, I, just, I just love the God who sent that melody into Andrew's soul and those words because it's just right. We're so busy scratching and clawing that we miss how right it is just to be tender together, to just grab life and and really love each other and care about the right stuff because at the end of our days, you know, um, our manicured lawn won't matter. The size of our house, it just won't matter. You know, the kind of car you've driven or not driven just won't matter. Um, what will matter is the faith um, that we have in God and the love we enjoy with people. And so... I think it's a great start to today's sermon because that's basically what it's about. If you turn in your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter number 2, you know, if you're young out there, you're still pondering this question, who do you want to be like when you grow up? Um, uh, maybe if you're older, you might look back and say, who did I want to be like? For me, it was some combination between my oldest brother and my, my grandfather on my dad's side. I just thought they, you know, one guy was, you know, really athletic and the other guy just knew everything and they were both just uh, fun guys in their very different ways. They were fun guys. So I wanted to be like those guys. And I, I can very much remember when I was a little kid, I, I wanted to be like my older brother. And when I was a young man, I wanted to be more like my grandfather. And here I am a grown man and I'm just trying to figure out every season of life and I'm always looking at that person that's right ahead of me in, in, in a season of life, both chronologically and spiritually. And I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get my bearings. 
And all the while, you know, remembering that there's people behind me, that the thing I often share with young people, everybody do this. Everybody make the okay sign. Okay, see, can you, it's hard for me to do Can you bring your fingers together like this? The way I try to think about it with young people is you always want to have somebody that's behind you in the faith that you're mentoring, somebody that's with you in the faith that you're walking with, and somebody that's ahead of you that you're taking as an example. And I just say that's the pathway to being okay. <laughs> just okay. That's the pathway to being okay. And so I, I, take, I take role models very seriously. And today we're going to look at some of those role models in the scriptures uh, through Philippians chapter 2. Beginning at verse number 19, the Bible reads like this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly, that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my, fellow brother, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Father, as we look into the word this morning, show us Jesus high and lifted up. Show us the goodness of Jesus as he walked among men. Show us the goodness of Jesus as he, as he mediates at the throne of the Father for us, day in, day in and day out. Show us the goodness of Jesus as our long and expected King. May we see the goodness of Jesus, and may we see the goodness of Jesus not only as an idea or a report of history, but may we see the goodness of Jesus in our brothers and sisters around us. In Christ we pray, amen and amen. Church, let's face it, we need role models. We need role models. And I want to go ahead and tell you something. It's going to break somebody's heart. Everybody got their big boy britches on? Say amen. amen. You know, it's... If sports are more than fun to you, your, your sense of reality is deeply skewed. If they're more than just fun to you, right? If your child's biggest hero is a ball player, something ain't right, y'all. Especially if their biggest hero is a ball player because of ball. But if they find some hero in the sports world because that hero is navigating life and fame and competitive sports because they have a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus that shows in everything they do, then having a ball player as a hero is not such a bad idea. Somebody ought to say amen. But we're so deeply embedded in sports here that when somebody dogs them, we almost think they're speaking against an article of the faith. I could also say the same thing of actors and actresses. And musicians and artists, if, if, if your role model is a role model solely because of their talent that they're lauded for, then something's not right. But if in their talent they love Jesus 
If in their talent they treat others kindly, if in their talent they pursue obedience to the gospel, then by all means have a musician and an artist. Have a writer. Have one of these people as your hero. I want to tell you we need role models, but we need role models today that will not only point us to some idea of American notoriety and success, but who will put us squarely at the foot of the cross. We need those kind of role models. And we need to get our bearings both by the passing of years and by the observing of spiritual growth. Both of those things I take very seriously. I'll just give you one example. I knew a lot about what I did not want to do as a father. Any guys in here, you know, when when you were becoming a father, you knew a lot about what you did not want to do. Somebody say amen. Right? But I didn't know exactly what I ought to do. You see the difference? I knew what I didn't want to do, but I did not know what I ought to do. And that very much troubled me. And so I started, this, this is going to sound, same thing as a husband. I, I knew how I didn't want to be a husband. I didn't know how I did want to be a husband. And so if anybody is here, in here is contemplating marriage or if you're, if, you're, if you're getting ready to be a parent or thinking about being a parent, let me tell you what I did. I went around interviewing people. I did. This is not a joke. I started with the people in church who I admired the most. I looked around and I found some men who I, and this is what I look for. I found some men who seemed to enjoy their wives. And I started looking at couples who were in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And my first thing I did was I looked to see who was holding hands. In the pew, down the hallway. I just did. I just said, man, if, if, you, can be with, if, you, know, if you can be with one woman that long and you still want to hold her hand, you know something. Or you're my detained. <laughs> and either one, I need taming and I need some knowing. So I, I started looking for those men. I started looking for men and women who spoke kindly to one another after a lot of years. Because it's not that you're unkind. You just not, don't take the trouble to be kind. No more. You say, well, I've got her. I don't got to get her. And then I started looking for parents. My first thing, this is going to sound weird. My first thing was I looked for parents who, when they needed to talk to their kids, would get down on their level. Because I had learned I hated to be talked to like this. I hated that. And so I started looking, and I found this one dad that every time he would, his, like his daughter loved to interrupt him. And he, he'd stop her from interrupting him, but when it was her turn, he would always go down on one knee and start talking to her, trying to get, get in her eyes, you know. And I just said, I'm going to interview this guy. And I started interviewing people. And they thought it was so strange. I said, hey, after church next Sunday, uh, you know, what, what are you going to do? You want to pack a lunch? And I wouldn't even give them an option. I just say, you want to pack a lunch or you want to go somewhere to eat? Which, which one do you want to do? Like, for what? I said, oh, I'm going to interview you. I don't know nothing about being a husband and I'm getting ready to get married. And if uh, it works out like I want to, then when I'm married, I'm going to be a daddy. And I want to find out about being a husband and a daddy. And I found in every single case that one of these Guys had found someone they could admire, and they had followed life right after. And so that impulse, we need role models. And and none of us, none of us, honestly, none of us, from the oldest to the youngest Christian in this room, whether by age or years of being a Christian, none of us are really ever at the perfect point of maturation. We're just not. That's why the Lord gives us pastors and teachers. You don't believe me? Look at what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. So he gave everybody, right? He gave all these giftings. Why? To equip the saints for what, church? 
work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, the chief work of the, the chief work of the ministry is to build up the body of Christ. Until how long are we supposed to work at this? Read verse thirteen with me. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now I might sum that up and say we're supposed to be being worked on, being equipped, growing, expressing our gifts, receiving the expression of gifts until every single one of us are just like Jesus. All right. And the point of maturity here, y'all ready? Y'all ready? Hey, you, you young fellows, listen to this. The point of maturity is not that you've reached an age where you can ride a bike. Somebody say Amen. It's not at the age where you can dip snuff. It's not at the age where you can drive a car. It's not at the age where you're suddenly able to vote or, or be in the military. It is not at the age where you are allowed legally to drink alcohol. According to the scriptures, the point of maturity and the fullness of maturity is to be just like Jesus. That's why in the body of Christ, you can have people who are very advanced in age. You might say their bodies are mature, but they have within them tiny little babies in Christ. And so all of us, every single one of us need to embrace growth. Somebody say amen. Now I bet there's somebody out here this is very convicting for. Let's just be honest. There's somebody here that's very convicting for some some somebody in here is a is a is a is a senior adult as the polite way we say that is that you old. And you know maybe some of them's your children or your grandchildren or people around you who are much younger in years in, in trips around the sun. They're much younger in years, but they are just outrunning you in the Lord. And you know it's true. And so I would say I have a huge challenge for anyone who is, who's been given the gift of the Holy Spirit this morning that is able to recognize that they need to grow spiritually, to confess it, to own it, to seek some counsel, to dig into the Word, and to find yourself a godly role model. Be equipped. Embrace it. Now, I want us to read verse 14 together before we move on. Why? Because you're going to be in this world, and God has something that he wants for you in this world. you see this? He wants for you. It's not about what he wants from you in this case. It's what he wants what, church? For you. Read verse 14 with me. So that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Do you see that your God, your God wants to make you a rock solid sailing vessel on the ocean of life so that you're not carried around by everything, everything. And if you don't think this is real, just go on social media for about three minutes. People will click and share more foolishness and get into arguments about more foolishness on some social media. And, and you say, well, I don't get on social media. Well, let me tell you. you. You know what the old school version of social media is? Sitting at the store. <laughs> Sitting at Hardy's and, and the Bojangles and the Biscuitville. Going to the beauty salon. These little comments you make, that's your status. 
And then everybody starts to comment under it. And that's just, that's, that's the argument over the status. That, that's the old. So you say, I don't, I don't do Facebook. Okay. I'm still talking to you. You know, you out there running your mouth. But I'm not picking on anybody. I'm saying I'm very encouraged. I've just told you. I've just told you my whole position was I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't know how to be a dad. I've told you. I definitely did not know how to be a disciple of Jesus. Somebody say amen. I didn't. And some days you might be around me and say, boy, you still don't. I'm growing. But I see that. Look at this. Look at this from Ephesians. I see that what God wants from me is for me to be just like Jesus so that in this world I'm not thrown around by everything that happens. Don't you get tired of being thrown around by everything that happens. We was at VBS this week, and, and, and two of the three people who got on me are sitting in this room, and I think it's funny. Apparently, they had all watched the same news the night before, and at different times after that, they saw me looking at my phone like this, and they come and told me, says, oh, you need to hold it up like this and look at it. And, and I just said, I just said, I ain't going to do it. And uh, they, they told me how they was watching the news. And I says, well, you, I told one of them, the third one, I said, you know the way to cure yourself of giving me advice about the news is don't watch the news. It's solid advice, though. It was fun and it was silly. Three different people had watched the same newscast. And they all three saw me holding my phone like this. They said, oh, you need to hold your phone like this so you can save your neck. You know what they did? They took something that had been a revelation to them and applied it to people who need that revelation. And you know, we're either going to gossip or apply revelation. And this right here tells us that we should be helping each other grow so that we can become like Jesus and not be thrown around by everything that happens. You see that? And if you got that revelation, then help other people grow into Christ until they're just like him. In other words, you got a long bit of work to do. Somebody say amen. And we need role models. What's my point here? Before I go through, quickly go through these other three guys. I, I, hey, back up. I ain't there yet. And, and I don't want you to think that this is just about apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. This is all gifting. This, these guys should be leading hard in this. All gifting. Look at your neighbor and say, all gifting. TJ, tell them, every tool. Every tool. Every tool. Amen. Even if you got a pitiful Ziploc bag for a toolbox. <laughs> right. We're going to take up a collection and get her a new toolbox for you. Anyway, everybody's important. Look at your name and say, everybody's important. This is not just for those people. And when you when you get an, and when this when this new pastor comes, it's not just his job; it's everybody's job to build up the body of Christ. Somebody say, "Amen." And if the Reese Baptist Church really wants to grow, you'll embrace your role, and you'll work hard at it until everybody here is just like Jesus. Until everybody here is not thrown around by everything they hear on the news and see on social media. Somebody say, "Amen." They're not thrown around by everything they hear at Bojangles. Somebody say, "Amen." They're not thrown around by everything they hear at the beauty shop or the barbershop. Somebody say amen. They're not thrown around by all the crazy conversations that happen up here at this little grill. Somebody say amen. Get a vision for what God wants. You ready? For you. He wants you to be just like Jesus so that you can navigate this broken world with grace and love and maturity. 
Now let me go really fast. He gives us these wonderful examples. You know why we get these wonderful examples? Because Jesus has he has been crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven. And these apostles saw the risen Jesus. And what we get to see is the people who know him. God gives us examples and we need to follow them. Let me give you three miniature profiles this morning really quickly. Number one, I want to give you a profile of Paul the submissive servant. Paul the submissive servant. If you just look, it, it, Paul is really talking about Timothy and talking about Epaphroditus. But we get a couple clues into this guy. Look at verse number 19 in your Bibles. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Now this is not Excuse me. This is not hope in the wishful thinking like I hope the line isn't long at Golden Corral today. It's not that. This is fixed expectation in the promises of God. This is fixed expectations in the promises of God. Let me read it like that. He says, I have put my trust in the fixed expectations that God has given us in the Lord Jesus You see that? The man is sitting in prison and says, I am basing my my life. Don't just look at my circumstances. I am basing my life on my fixed expectation of what God is going to do for me and through me and in me through the Lord Jesus. You see that? You you can't miss that. That's a huge detail. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. I hope. What is he saying here? He says, I'm not in control of my circumstances. That's a lesson we need to learn this morning. This is what a submissive servant looks like. Look down into verse number 24. He, he says again in, in verse 23, I hope. And then in verse 24 he says, and I trust in the Lord that, I, that shortly I myself will come also. His life is in the hands of the Lord. If you were to ever read James chapter 4, he says real, real clearly there, don't go around saying what all you're going to do and what all you ain't going to do. That, that's the Tim Bowes translation to TBT. But he says, he says, what you need to say is, Lord willing, I'm going to go do this. Paul is submitted to the sovereignty of God. Somebody needs to hear this this morning because somebody is fighting against your circumstances tooth and nail. And you need to settle down and just submit yourself to the Lord. And if he doesn't want you in those circumstances, he will deliver you. And if he wants to leave you in those circumstances, he's going to leave you right there. That's tough to hear, but it's true. One of my favorite verses to tell myself, and I'm going to quote it in one translation and show it in another one. I I love it. It says, uh, man makes his plans, but the Lord establishes his steps. And I love the way the New Living Translation says it as well. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We need to see in Paul this man who is submitted to the will of God no matter what it cost him. I was reading a book some years ago, and jotted this quote down in my computer and I have used it many times because it's a wonderful summation. This is from Jerry Bridges. He says, Paul's humility is clearly seen in his own self-appraisal. Writing to the Corinthians in AD 55, he calls himself the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church of God. To the Ephesians about five years later, he refers to himself as the very least of all the saints. And near the end of of his life, he considers himself the foremost of sinners. This is quite a progression in his self-awareness from a proud, self-righteous Pharisee to the foremost of sinners. Only a person of genuine humility would describe himself in such terms. And that's as he got older in life and in the faith, the smaller and smaller he saw himself. Why? Because he was submitted to the will of God and he wasn't up out in life with his knuckles up trying to fight God and everybody around him. Secondly, 
Let's look at Timothy, a selfless servant. If you were to go back and look at verses 19 through 23, you would see a beautiful portrait of a guy here. You would see that a, 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 a tender-hearted apostle has as his assistant a tender-hearted pastor, right? And this, and this tender-hearted pastor is like a son. He's like a son to the apostle Paul. And the apostle Paul just lauds praise on him. He just says, there is nobody like Timothy. There's nobody. Does he mean that there are no other selfless people? No, what he means to say is, I don't know anybody more selfless than this guy. He's been concerned for me. He's concerned for you. He, he, he just spends his life in concern for other people. Now, who does that sound like? That sounds like Jesus, whereas he learned his example of pursuing Jesus from the Apostle Paul. You see this beautiful father-son thing in the faith? I was at a deacon's meeting some weeks ago. And one of the deacons was saying how they fell out of church when they were young. And there was this older gentleman. And both this, this, this now old deacon and this very old guy are still in this church. And I won't tell you which deacon I'm calling old, but it was Lynn Wood. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? My bad. Saying how, how this brother kept saying, hey, man, you need to get back in church. You need to get back in church. You need to get back in church. But he pursued him. He pursued him. Linwood was very careful. I didn't fall away from the Lord, but I fell away from the church, and I needed to get back. And he was thankful for this pursuit. The Apostle Paul has raised up Timothy, and Timothy is now a selfless servant, and, and, and he's just interested in the Lord's will. I love how it says in verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth. It's not just that I feel for this guy. He's done stuff. That's what the Apostle's saying. He says, and I'm, I'm going to send him to you just as soon as they figure out my court case. I'm going to send him to you. Uh, but right now I'm going to send Epaphroditus. And he wants to send Timothy. He says, Timothy, is, uh, he's, he, nobody's like him. He will serve you. He is, he is a man of and in the word. What a powerful example. Consider what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20. And I quoted this from a paraphrase just to give us a fresh look at it. Jesus called them together and said, Among the heathen kings are tyrants, and each minor official lords it over those beneath him. But among you it is, it is quite different. Anyone wanting to be a leader among you must be your servant. And if you want to be right at the top, you must serve like a slave. Your attitude must be like my own, for I, the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. What we see in sacrificial Paul, we see in selfless Timothy, because who they're following is the good shepherd Jesus. Thirdly and finally, he points to Epaphroditus who has been sent from the Philippians to the Apostle Paul. And I'll, I'll give you the fast version of this. He was sent with a gift to help them. Paul's in prison and, and in those days there, there wasn't prison issued uniforms. There wasn't a prison cafeteria. If your needs got supplied, it was because people who cared about you supplied your needs. And the Philippians had supplied the needs of the Apostle Paul, and they had sent Epaphroditus to do it. And so he, he told him, he says, I got to get Epaphroditus back to y'all. Again, that's a Tim Bowes paraphrase, verse 25. He said, I got to get this guy back to y'all. But look, in one sentence, he puts five titles on Epaphroditus, five 
Three are from Paul about Epaphroditus. Two are how he understands Epaphroditus coming from the Philippians. He says, he says, this is my brother. He's a fellow worker and he's a fellow soldier in the faith. This is an incredible testimony. Epaphroditus, can you pick the name out? It basically means he's of the goddess Aphrodite. In other words, this guy was raised in a pagan family that had pagan hope for him, and he's now coming to the faith, and Paul's saying, that's my brother. He's come along with me, and I identify with him on whose we are and where we're going. I don't identify with him over who he was. I don't know if anybody's picking up what I'm putting down, but that's better than y'all know. Some of us got to get over this stuff that we were and get on with who we are. A fellow laborer. A fellow soldier, and I would love to spend the time spelling out what that looks like to be a fellow laborer and a fellow soldier. I'm going to give you one of my favorite quotes from Georg Lichtenberg. He says, a handful of soldiers is always better than a mouthful of arguments. 16th century writer. Isn't that just true? He was not speaking in spiritual terms, but I'm a spiritual man, not here in spiritual. You know, you can, you can parade around having all the right Jesus words in the world, but when somebody stands shoulder to shoulder with you in the gospel, serving the Lord Jesus, you'd rather have one of those folks than a congregation full of people to just say amen. Amen? You know, uh, if something controversial is going on, you can get everybody to business meeting. But if somebody said, hey, let's go build a handicap ramp, you get four men. Or four women. I'm not being sexist. I'm being average. So when he says these, he's throwing big words out. He says, this is my brother, fellow laborer, and a fellow soldier. We are family who has worked together at the point of suffering. We are a family who has worked together at the point of suffering. We are a family who has... Work together. How hard? That's what he's saying about Epaphroditus. He said, I got to get this old boy back to y'all. And look at those other two titles right there in, in, in verse number uh, 25. He says, he's been your messenger. That means he came like, like, like an apostle from the Philippians with a special priestly ministry to the Apostle Paul, he says, man, this, this, this dude, this dude is sent to minister to God and to minister to me. He's a messenger and a minister. One of my other favorite quotes that I look for every opportunity to use is from Jim Elliott. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What you really see in these three men are men who, has, who have given their lives to Jesus. They didn't try to keep them for themselves. They didn't try to keep them for their own interest. They didn't try to serve their comfort, their pleasure, their leisure. They said, God, I'm your man, and whatever you need me to do, whenever you need me to do it, I want to do it. So you see submissive Paul submitted to the will of the Lord. You see sacrificial Timothy, or selfless Timothy, excuse me, selfless Timothy, who was interested in the welfare of others more than his own. And we see suffering Epaphroditus. Who says, I'm going to serve the Lord even if it hurts. And there's so much more here I'm not unfolding. Uh, all this tender care for one another. The, the Philippians are worried about Paul, so they send Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus gets sick. Paul is concerned about Epaphroditus. The Philippians are concerned about Epaphroditus. Paul wants to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians so the Philippians know that Epaphroditus is okay. 
It's beautiful. Do y'all know it's beautiful? There isn't, there isn't a hired hand who is, who, is, who is sent primarily and only to tend to the sheep. It is a family who is concerned about the safety, health, welfare, and spiritual growth of every member. And in these role models, we see a picture of what the church should be like. Submissive, selfless, sacrificial Men and women of God who live as role models for everyone around us. So I have a threefold invitation this morning. Number one, who are you watching? Who are you watching? Who do you have your eyes on? What are you learning from them? Some of you in here may golf. I attempted it a few times. I'm better at putt-putt. A few years ago, I was out at Cedar Grove. I don't even think that course is open anymore. And I hit this mammoth drive. And out of 18 attempts, it was the only one that went straight all day. I mean, all day. And this, this older gentleman walked up to me and he says, where, where you learned to golf like at uh, Movon? And if you don't get why that's funny, Movon's a baseball player. He says, why are you throwing your leg up like that, boy? And I was like, I don't know. Just, that's how I know to golf. He, he stopped, this man who was golfing. He stopped what he was doing for about 20 minutes and gave me a few pointers. I had never shot below 100. The next game out, I shot an 89 and beat everybody that I was playing with. Then I decided I better give up golf because that's about as high or low as I think I can ever get. What a difference 20 minutes of instruction made in a silly game. How much difference would it make if you poured your life into other people? Who you got your eyes on? It's not very good to watch baseball players when you're trying to be a better golfer. Some of us have as our heroes people who are not doing life that we really want to do. Secondly, uh uh-oh, this is going to hurt. Y'all ready? Who's watching you? It's fairly easy to come here and smile for a couple hours. First off, think about your family conversations. Who's watching you and your family? Uh, it, it, social media is a wonderful thing. Sometimes you can find three and four generations who act all the same on social media. It's interesting. They're all complainers. They're all down in the mouth. They're all, and you say, wow. You, know, you just see where it came from. They've passed complaining on. Are you passing praise on to your family? Are you pass, passing thankfulness on to your family? Are, are you passing on godliness to your family? Who's watching you? You know your family is. One of the most heartbreaking things I ever heard as a youth pastor was I was, I was, I was telling this young lady, I was like, would you want your dad to see you behaving like she, she just starts crying and screams. And says, My daddy's got all y'all fool. He smiles and goes to these meetings and stuff and he does all these things in the church and he comes home and acts like a fool. Well, I said, whoa, would Jesus want you to behave like that? Who's watching you? How about your coworkers? I'll never forget this guy used to, used to invite me to church. <laughs> and he was so lazy at work. He was so lazy. He said, you just need to come visit our church. This is after I got saved. He said, you need to come visit our church. He said, we got a great church. And I finally asked him one day, I said, do you do any more of that than you do here? <laughs> well, I serve on this, that, and the other. I said, okay, okay. Do you do anything? <laughs> 
He told me later on I deeply offended him and I had to make apologies. But I was serious. I was kind of raw in the faith, but I was serious. You know, what, what image are you giving of, of your family, Teresa Baptist Church, and more importantly, the Lord Jesus at work? Who's watching you? Am I making sense to anybody? Now, what's the flip side of this? I'm not asking, and I don't think God is, is asking anybody to be perfect all at once, but his goal is for you to be just like Jesus. Because he wants people to see the love of Jesus in you, the kindness in Jesus in you, the forgiveness of Jesus in you. He wants people to experience the wisdom of Jesus through you. He wants people to, to feel his love through you. He wants that. So he gives you role models, and he makes you role models. And he wants you to experience Jesus so that you can help others experience Jesus too. And guys, this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing. One final question. Have you ever met someone worth changing your life over? I've met two people in my life worth changing my life over. And because of one of those, I met two more. First person to ever convince me that they were worth me changing my life over was the Lord Jesus. Everything I saw in me that was broken, I saw him willing to deal with it. Willing to take it, take me where I was and not leave me like that. And I saw my wife. First things first, the big change in my life was just being a one-woman man. But she was worth it. She was, she was the crested jewel in my crown. I didn't need to go looking for any more jewels to add to it. She's just worth it. She was worth me. She, when she was pregnant, she came to me. She said, Tim, I would like you to stop driving motorcycles and jet skis so crazy. You're getting ready to be a daddy. I quit. Haven't driven a motorcycle but once since. And I didn't drive it crazy like I had been doing. She was worth me changing my life over. And through her, the good Lord gave me two children. And that has radically changed my life. I'm not telling anybody to do what I did. I'm telling you an illustration. I quit playing softball. I quit all that stuff because I wanted to raise my kids. I did not, and, and I wanted to love my wife. I did not just want to say I had had a blast in the grass. Have you ever met anybody worth changing your life? I'll tell you, if Jesus hadn't changed your life, you hadn't met him. And if the people around you aren't worth you working for, man, you either need to change your crowd or change yourself. The people in my life are worth me working for. Amen? The problem might be then is do we have submission? And has that submission led us to selflessness? And in that selflessness, are we willing to sacrifice till it hurts for something good? Today, maybe you need to make your confession of faith public. Maybe you need to receive the Lord Jesus. You know, the, the, the whole point of these men changing their lives is because they had met this Savior who had died for them on the cross. He died for them on the cross. He rose from the grave for them to defeat death. He ascended to heaven to mediate for them. All of what Jesus did was for them. And they had received the gift and it had radically altered their lives. Have you received the Lord Jesus today? Have you received his gifts? Who are you looking at? Who's looking at you? And have you met my Jesus? Because he's sure enough worth you changing your life over. The time of decision is a time for us. It's a gift. Andrew, would you come and lead us? Um, trust and obey.
Um, Andrew does this really wonderful chipper version of it. And I says, hey, Andrew, would you do that chipper version of Trust and Obey? And he texts me back and says, is there any other version? Now, we usually sing these funeral dirges during times of decision. But I think it is a really happy time to say, I'm going to trust God and obey him in a fresh way. It's really happy. Father, as we sing, visit our hearts as only you can. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Stand together and let's sing, trust and obey.